0: Hi, this is Gary Meese with the Case Against podcast, all about the West Memphis 3 case, which involved uh, Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, Jesse Miskelly Jr.'s murders of Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers on May 5th, 1993, in West Memphis, Arkansas. Briefly, the three men were convicted. They served about 18 years for the crimes and were eventually released in 2011. The uh, chapter I'm reading this week out of my book Blood on Black is called One of the Guys Had a Devil Worshipping Book and We Would Go buy It. The uh, I have two other books, uh, Blood on Black's the first of two volumes on the case that goes into in-depth about the case. The second book is Where the Monsters Go. Uh, I revised, condensed, and did some other editing uh, for a smaller, more somewhat more affordable book called The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers. All three books are available on Amazon in Kindle format and also in print. The area we're looking at this week involves yet another dubious uh, statement from a pretty sketchy character. However, I think it does illuminate some aspects of the circumstances surrounding the crime. It's certainly worth knowing about and reading if you've got a deep interest in the case. It's also just bizarre enough to be worth reading on its own. Uh, This is a short chapter it's not going to be a long episode. And I'm not suggesting that this in any way uh, is some sort of damning proof against Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, or Jesse Miskelly Jr. I certainly, if he, this person had testified, of course, we don't know exactly what he would have said on the stand, but, you know, I, I don't know how good a witness he would have been to begin with. Alvis Glenn Bly, and furthermore, I, I don't really know that uh, he would have anything that would you know have worked greatly toward convicting them. However, I will say again, it's certainly worth reading, and he's he's a little older than some of the other uh, people we've quoted, mostly a lot of teenage people. Um, Acquaintances of Damian Eccles, Baldwin, and Miskelly. Uh, last week we had uh, Ricky Clymer tell his version of various satanic rites that were going on in Crittenden County, Arkansas, back in 1993, when this 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 case was going uh, ongoing. And so this illuminates some more, um, some other aspects of that. Self-confessed Satanist in trouble with the law became a prime source of information in the case. Albus Clem Bly, 36, had been charged with sexual abuse, first degree in March, 1993. And was still in Crittenden County Jail when Detective Mike Allen called, talked to him on June 29th, 1993, about his involvement in the local witch cult. So once again, we have somebody who's accused of sexual crimes uh, involved on the periphery of this case, which all the indications are that there was sexual abuse in, in, uh, involved in the attacks on uh, Stevie, Michael, and Chris. Uh, The exact details of that are a little uncertain simply because Jesse Miskelly, while he consistently describes sexual abuse, he changed it somewhat as it went along, uh, mitigated it somewhat, toned it down a bit, and but in some ways arguably made it worse. In other words, the the more accurate he was, the seemingly accurate, rather than just describing a wholesale rape rape rampage when he got into more nuanced versions of what happened later on, uh, in some ways it sounded almost worse than what he had originally said. Uh, There were... The boys had <clears throat> bruising around the ears. It indicated their ears had been held while they were forced to commit sex acts, which is sounds bizarre, but apparently that's something that happens in these, these kind of sexual abuse cases. Uh, there were also indications around the, the buttocks that there had been some sort of interaction going there of some sort whether it involved actual penetration or not is questionable and that's what miscelli originally described however it's quite possible he saw what looked to be full-scale penetration but was actually something somewhat less than that but still just as perverted disgusting against the law and against all sense of human dignity um, and is absolutely inexcusable. I I think a lot of people would think that uh, people who commit these kind of acts probably deserve the death penalty just on that basis alone. And I'm not a big fan of the death penalty simply because it's applied so uh, unevenly. However, I'm not really against... The idea that sexual abusers need to, certainly need to be um, <clears throat> kept out of society, and if the only means of doing that is putting them to death, then it's certainly better than them being out abusing boys and little boys and girls. Uh, personally, I just prefer that they st- they get locked up and stay that way. Maybe on their own little island where they can just abuse each other. Anyway, Alvis Glenn By at times seemed almost incoherent, while nonetheless giving details that concurred with other statements. By had lived on East Barton and West Memphis in the neighborhood of the victims, and in Lakeshore Trailer Park, which is where Baldwin and Damien's girlfriend, Dominique Tier lived and where Damien spent a great deal of his time. Bly had lived there also prior to being arrested. He had been involved in the cult for about a year. About 20 people, never less than eight, were involved, according to Bly. Quote, We always had a certain time to meet out there during the week. We always go on Sunday unquote, at six o'clock in the evening. Quote, it was in the book that that's what time you're supposed to start it. Now, according to the most commonly used text among these local young local witches, Buckland's Complete Book of Witchcraft, uh, most covens meet once a week, but there really is no hard and fast rule. That's according to Buckland. Uh, there was a little agreement among professed a cultist talking to police about meeting times. Baldwin explained, not Baldwin, Bly explained, <clears throat> well we just go out there and one of the guys had a devil worshiping book and we would go by it, which was sacrificing dogs or chicken. We would drain their blood then we would take and cut the heart out and put it in the center of the pentagram and set fire to it and worship the devil. Bly described the pentagram as a, quote, devil symbol placed on the floor. They had some chalk, some white powder chalk, and some blue chalk, like carpenter's chalk, and would draw with that. Bly, who had been following the case in the news, named Miskelly and Baldwin as participants. This is all very strange. He names and Baldwin but not Eccles as participants. And it gets a little stranger here. He said cult members called Baldwin Davian. Mike Allen got out a newspaper with the stories with the story about the killings and photos of the three suspects, Allen. Okay, is this the one they call Damien? Presumably pointing to a picture of Damien. Uh, well, we'll find out who he's actually pointing to. Bly, no, sir. Alan, that's, I, I'm pointing to Jason Baldwin. Okay, he was pointing to Baldwin. Uh, Bly, I see, that that's not Davian. The other boy was Davian, Damien. I don't see him on the, there he is. That's Davian there. Alan, okay, that's the one they call Damien there. Yes, Bly, yes, sir. Alan, Davian, whatever you name him as. Bly, Davian, that's Devil Dane. Oh, Alan, okay, and this is, the, this is the person you know as Baldwin? Bly, yes, sir. Alan, point to a picture of Jason Baldwin and this person here. Do you recognize him? Bly, he's the leader, Miskelly is. Now, clearly, Jesse Miskelly was not the leader of the local witch cult. Not even close. <laughs> and Alan's response is, okay, um, Bly, all I know is Jason or Jess or Jesse, something like that. <laughs> I'm almost, I'm, I'm not sure, if you're confused, maybe I am too. <laughs> it, I'm just quoting what's said here. It seems that Bly did not do a really great job of identifying these guys. He doesn't really seem to be clear about their names, etc. Bly named locations for cult activities, such as an old red barn behind Lakeshore, a huge empty house out on Highway 50 50 North, and a shed behind a house on Rich Road in West Memphis. Bly claimed he had had a ski boat and had taken Miskelly down to Hernando Point in Mississippi the previous summer. Which seems strange, since he seems to have been uncertain about Miskelly's first name. Uh, Bly, I don't know how he brought it up, but I used not to believe in the Bible or the Lord, and he asked me if I was atheist, and I told him yes, and that's how he would come about getting in it. He told me that the devil would give me more than God ever would. Alan asked about illegal activities within the group. Blah, killing the dogs was illegal to start with because we would steal the dogs from people and um, that rape, where they raped that girl out there, I know that was illegal. He said the rape of a girl who was a member of the cult occurred at this local structure called Stonehenge, which was a an abandoned and otherwise dilapidated cotton gin. I mean, basically, it was a bunch of big concrete pillars. Uh, Ricky Clymer had mentioned a rape, who was in the episode last week, had mentioned a rape as part of a hanging ritual. Why? Well, Miss Kelly came up with the idea of it, and then Baldwin went along with it. Baldwin was the first one that raped her, which she kind of went along with, but when the other guy started doing it, she had a fit about it, said she would tell. He named a 16-year-old who lived in Lakeshore as the victim. She apparently was never interviewed, which, you know, there are criticisms of the police that get thrown around, and and uh, I concur with some of those criticisms. I, I don't think they did a terrible job. I don't think they did a great job, and obviously there are a lot of people. Some people they talk to, you sort of wonder, why did they waste their time? And there are other people that... They didn't talk to and you and didn't record the interviews and you wonder why they didn't talk to them including the parents it would have been good to have recorded interviews of all the parents not because any of them were implicated in the crimes but just simply to get more background and understanding of the boys who they may have known who their friends were uh, if they'd known who, maybe there's some other boys who had gone out into the these woods where they were found after having gone missing, well, maybe there would have been some other little boys that have also gone out there at different times. It could maybe give them some more some more information., uh, they spent quite a bit of time interviewing many there were many interviews of one friend, Aaron Hutchinson, who started right off with a very dubious description of events on May 5th 1993 and just sort of went on from there seemingly making stuff up to the point that it was difficult to tell if any of what he was saying was fantasy it was had any kind of reality at all if it was all sheer fantasy or if there were some basis for the idea that they had actually seen some uh, rituals going on out there uh, maybe if they'd talked to some other little boys they might have who were friends uh, who either saw this or heard this from uh, the three boys that were killed, that m- perhaps we would have gotten a better idea of what was actually going on. And this is a good example of a case where they had the name of a girl in the lakeshore, and if there was actually a rape there, which seems to be... A, Something that would draw their attention. Seems like they go talk to her, but they, they didn't, and I, I don't understand that. I don't understand why they didn't do a much better interview with, say, Dixie Hufford. Uh, since L.G. Hollingsworth, there were a lot of questions about his activities, and she was somewhat central to not only that, but also to the Hollingsworth family siding. Instead, we get a very perfunctory and unsatisfactory interview with Dixie Hufford. Those are some easy examples. There are there are, there are others. Back to Alvin Bly. Stonehenge, Stonehenge, he said, was, quote, the only place we sacrifice dogs at. How we do the dogs? We beat them to death first with sticks, and they were alive when... They, we hung them up. We would beat them to death over the top of the pentagram. The pentagram would be drawn on the floor right under where we hung the dog up. We would hang the dog up above that and then we would cut his throat, his thing, and we would catch the blood in a pail. And then we drank a cup full, a piece of the blood, and then we would cut his head off. Then we would cut him open and cut his heart out. We would put the heart in the middle of this and pour alcohol on it and mixed with baby oil. We had a pie pan we would set in the center of this, which is the same thing I'm talking, you know, we got the blood in it. And then we would put the baby oil on the heart and you know, burn it. It wouldn't burn it up, but it would burn it. And then we would praise to the dev, the devil and stuff. And now according to Bly, the dogs were tied up by the hind legs. Everybody had to hit the dogs, everybody. If you didn't hit him, you had to leave. Bly well, said he would have expected the boys who were killed to have been beaten with sticks, which certainly seems to be the case. Uh, there are wounds, a pattern of wounds, really, it's a very similar pattern of blows to the top of the head of all three boys that have, among other things involved in the, the deaths, had a ritualistic aspect, what looked like three sharp blows to the head with a large stick. Uh, there were sticks that were gathered from the scene. Eccles was also known to carry it around a large stick. In fact, there was a large such stick found at his home uh, after the killings. You know, kind of a wizard's wand according to, uh, you know, I guess he thought he was the Black Magic version of Gandalf or something. I'm not sure what was, I have an idea what was going on in Eccles' head and it was not a pretty picture. But I, I, if you, any, any movie you've seen with an evil wizard in it, that's probably pretty much what Eccles thought of himself, you know. The guy he wanted to be. He wanted to be the bad guy. He wanted to be the evil but powerful wizard. I'm guessing, but (laughs) there's no indication that I'm wrong. Back to Bly. They would have raped them usually. Like I say, I don't know why they didn't cut their heads off, because you're supposed to. If you've done that, you're supposed to cut their heads off. We cut all the dogs' heads off. We would hand the body, the head up and do away, throw the body down it it a big ditch there by Stonehenge. Now this was a rare mention of disposing bodies in a ditch and a ditch is where the bodies of Chris, Michael and Stevie were disposed of, except they weren't bodies. At the time, Chris had bled out from uh, being de- emma- de- emasculated by Jason Baldwin with a knife. And uh, all three of them had been beaten to the point that it almost certainly wouldn't have survived those wounds uh, to the head in particular. There were a lot of cuts to Stevie and to Chris, other cuts, um, but Michael and Stevie drowned after being stomped into the mud of this muddy little ditch in what is known as Robin Hood Hills. So there were bodies disposed of in a ditch in the killing as well. Alan asked, any other body parts they might cut off? Bly. Their penis. Bite it off. That's what it reads in the book to do devil circumcision. (laughs) There's nothing in book Buckland's book that suggests anything like this. So I'm not suggesting that that's the book. Again, that seemed to be the book most of them were using, but that's not necessarily the book that this particular group were using. Um, and no, the penises weren't bitten off. A lot of talk about bite marks in this case. There's not really any indication of human bite marks, despite what some say. There is a mark on Stevie Branch's brow that's often attributed to a bite mark. It's almost perfectly round. It's got a little X mark in the center. And that mark almost perfectly corresponds to the mark that the the, the bottom of the hilt, the hilt of uh, a Rambo knife would make if it was slapped into your head. Uh, a Rambo knife, very similar if not the same as the Rambo knife found in the lake behind Jason Baldwin's house, uh, a Rambo knife that both uh, Jason Baldwin was known to have and that Damien Echols' girlfriend, Deanna Holcomb, said that he carried around all the time. And there's no doubt that that, uh, Baldwin and Echols both were knife collectors. Now, Bly was talking about biting the penis off as a devil circumcision. Mike Allen says. What did they did they do this dog? Bly no sir. It wasn't nobody it wasn't nobody had the courage to do it to the dogs. We would cut, we would cut their penis off, but they wouldn't bite off like you were supposed to. Imagine that. Bly Ms. Kelly always had the knife he carried on his side all the time. It's a hunter's knife. It uh, had a leather handle wrapped leather handle. It had a can opener. It came out and it would swivel down the top like a little saw deal. You know, it sounds something like a Swiss Army knife. Uh, the blade had quote ripples in it. It it called a gut knife. Now, well, I said the knife was about eleven inches total length. Well, that doesn't sound like a Swiss Army knife, but some of these attachments do. It's called a bleeder, what it is, gut knife. Well, I couldn't remember what was said in the ceremony. We read it of a book that we got from the library here. He described the book as the devil something. Black, shiny black, about a hundred page book. It's got like a dragon, like a dragon, like a goat's body, quote, unquote, on the cover. I don't know which book. This is not Buck- Buckland's book, so I don't know what book this is. I've tried to find something like this, and I haven't. I've done some searching, and maybe it's just easy to find, and I was just incompetent, but I just have not seen this particular book. It was St. Lucifer's second son. It was Satan on the front. That's who it was. Alan asked about Damien Echols' role in all this. Bly, well, we took turns. Sometimes he would cut the heart out. Sometimes I would or Miss Gellie or any of the other people. We always spread it out different times. Every who didn't do it the last time would have to do it that time. Well, I said that when he left the cult, they were discussing the sacrifice of children. Quote, they were trying to pick out, you know, wanted to know who we would pick out to do it to. I was already leaving the cult anyway because they raped that girl. This was about a month before the boys got killed. They were planning on sacrificing them up here on 50 at that house and leave them there. Okay, that's pretty much everything from... Alvis Clem Bly. Another Bly, Charlotte Ann Bly Beloy, or B-O-L-O-I-S, B-O-L-O-I-S, I would say Beloy, but who knows how they pronounce it, of Parkin met with Detective, West Memphis Detective Brian Ridge at the First Baptist Church Park in Parkin, Arkansas on October 13th, partially to describe to him the site of a satanic ritual in Crittenden County. She said that someone named Chris, from either the small community of Lehigh in Crittenden County or from Paris, Tennessee, and Greg Wilson, quote, from, from, quote, somewhere in Alabama, unquote, had set up the ritual site close to Shell Lake, which is about a mile and a half out in the woods, south of Earl. Ridge, who had been to the site, said it was east of 149 Highway. Quote from Charlotte M. Blaibloy: "There's a bunch of tarpaulin out th- up there now, and then there was just a an old green rag tent." She said these men were staying with Amy and Eddie Wilson, who were relatives of Mescalic confidant Buddy Lucas. She said she went to the site with Chris and Greg. In September of 1992 Ridge asked okay what was taking place when you go there they were doing a bunch of devil worshipping talking silly she said they was huffing gas and glue and everything else they could find they got the glue out Eddie's shop back there Ridge okay I you got upset I understand boy yes Ridge, okay, did anything else occur or was there anything told you that's what they were doing devil worshiping? Charlotte Ann, I'm gonna give up on untru- guessing what her last name is how her last name's pronounced. I seen Greg turned into something silly. I don't know what it was, but it was some kind of animal. Now her reference was unclear and Ridge did nothing to clarify what she was talking about. I think it We can make a reasonable assumption that this Greg fellow had been imitating some sort of animal. Ridge. Okay, now Greg has told you he has did something with an animal out there. Is that correct? Charlotte Ann. He killed one of Amy's dogs. It's supposed to have been a sacrifice. Now, Charlotte Ann was cousin to Buddy Lucas and knew Damien from school she said this about Eccles he's a weird person I know he uses drugs and he's a devil worshiper I know that much he asked me if I was a devil worshiper and I said no he said well you're hanging around one that's exactly what he said and she had lived at Lakeshore and ne- had never heard of any devil worshipping there but she said devil worshipping had continued at Shell Lake since her visit And she also said Buddy Lucas had gone to the site with Chris and Greg Wilson on Halloween of 1992. Brian Ridge observed, uh, Halloween should be a big night for devil worshipping. Now, you know, in the Mid-South, that time of year is a welcome respite from oppressive summer heat. There are lots of community festivals, school football games are well attended. Nighttime becomes pleasantly cool. Damien Eccles has called Halloween his favorite holiday, so Ridge's conjecture about holiday being a big night for devil-worshipping is based somewhat on that, I think, but also it, it is uh, one of the larger occult holidays. Uh, Like October, May in the Mid-South is the distinctive time of year, being a relatively warm but pleasant climate before the summer heat arrives in June. Along with the end of the school year, there are many outdoor activities and festivals. May is not a month easily mistaken for another in West Memphis and Marion, Arkansas. Both months are prime time for witch cults. The disjointed and otherwise suspect accounts of Alvis Bly and Ricky Clymer, the the chap from last week, despite obvious problems, offered further evidence that witch cults were alive and thriving in Crittenden County in 1992-1993. And that's the end of the chapter. Now, you know, I have all sorts of problems with that, and I think it's pretty obvious why. There also seems to be an element of truth running through there. I'm, I'm just not sure exactly what it was. Why I'm not sure why Bly would be just simply making this stuff up. I mean, was in jail. Maybe he was hoping for a deal. But I don't see how being involved, admitting to being involved in all this, would necessarily get him anything in particular and he he didn't say anything that incriminated uh, Miss Kelly Eccles and Baldwin in the actual crime he describes some rituals that they were involved in and does so in such a poor way that it's actually often hard to, to figure out who he's even talking about as being involved in this However, Ms. Kelly also described sacrificing dogs in his initial confession. And maybe Bly was building on that somewhat, but uh, there were sites around, there had been some sites around Crittenden County, the West Memphis area for about, they've been found over the last, the previous 18 months to a year, 18 months to two years that were, uh, looked like some sort of animal sacrifices had been conducted. You know, uh, the old Dab school that eventually burned down had uh, one room that had chalk markings that were occult in nature. And, you know, these are vandals are kids coming in. And they could be doing almost anything for a lark. But it does raise a question. There Jerry Driver, the youth detention officer who was heavily involved in the case, uh, was very concerned what he was finding among the kids there with this interest in the occult. Uh, he gets demonized. No pun intended, he gets demonized for his belief that uh, Eccles posed a danger to society as a result of these beliefs. Indications are that he was a danger to society because of his beliefs, though if he didn't have these beliefs, he probably would still be a danger to society because that is just the way he's wired. However, he had latched onto his occult beliefs at an early age, and they gave him a perfect outlet for... uh, working out his obsessions uh, with power, with sex, with control, with things like bondage. He had a fascination with the Salem witch trials, describes a childhood in which he was going to sleep with visions of the Salem witch trial tortures going through his head. And of course he describes this as something that horrified him and perhaps they did, but. Clearly, it also fascinated him. And you've got this chart, this adrenaline charge going there in which sex and violence and control are all tied up together in a insane mind, according to his own descriptions on his Social Security disability benefit, benefits application, in which he described himself as homicidal and suicidal, a sociopath, etc. When you got that kind of mind with those kind of influences and the means of working them out and with the imagined possibility of actually getting away with it and then continuing to commit a crime later on, then perhaps turning yourself in for the notoriety, which seems to be what Eccles was planning. I mean, he said as much. He was planning on killing some more people, some more kids, maybe some girls this time, and then turning himself in. Now, would he have turned himself in after the second killings? Probably not. Why would he do that? the only reason he would would be for the notoriety if there were a second wave of second set of killings with two or three girls or little boys or whatever he happened to find would he stop? doesn't seem that likely does it? one more set of killings after that and he becomes a serial killer by definition so we may well have had a case where there was a serial killer in the making who was just so profoundly over the top in his initial crimes and was, and was stupid enough to believe he was smart enough to get away with showing, basically hiding in plain sight, actually bragging at some points. At the softball game, about having been involved, having committed the killings, talking about uh, with his various friends about his involvement in the killings, and yet he thought he could somehow get away with it. And you know, the truth is, if Jesse Miscelli, if there hadn't been the Vicki Hutchison Jesse Miscelli connection, in which the police, because of Vicki Hutchison, deciding to play detective making this contact with Damien Eccles through her friend Jesse Muskkelly and then the police becoming interested in Jesse Muskkelly as maybe somebody who might have some information on Damien Eccles you no know, he wasn't high on the list it was a month after almost a month after the killings that they talked to him they brought him in. They didn't know he was going to confess to the crimes, and that wasn't on the agenda. There were a lot of people who were much higher on the list as as potential suspects. I mean, there were several lists that were there that were out, and uh, very soon after the crimes, people who might either know something about this or actually be involved. Muskelly's name doesn't appear on those. So he was not... Somebody that they would have picked out as, well, oh, this is the guy to go to. Let's coerce him into a confession, which didn't happen. And then he'll implicate his friend Damien Eccles. I mean, there were people who were much more likely to, on the surface, who seemed much more likely to become involved in this kind of crime, including Eccles and Baldwin by his association with Eccles. And make no mistake, just because he's just his best friend, well, you have to raise the question, why would an otherwise seemingly normal boy make friends with the weirdest kid in town, someone who was obsessed with horror movies, who was constantly making jokes about things like cutting people's heads off, going around talking about himself as being the son of satan and a devil worshiper you know and perhaps it's quite likely that some of this i mean i'm sure some of it was just for attention because he loves he loved attention then he loves attention now his activities now are all about him his occult his occult practices and look at me look look how i'm dressed Look at my tattoos. Look at my strange hairstyles. Look what I got away with and look what I can do now. But why would Baldwin associate with such a person? Well, Baldwin associated with such a person because Baldwin is much more like that than it might appear on the surface. For one thing, he doesn't seem to have any form of conscience whatsoever. He's a very cool and practiced liar. Um, He, for all the talk of Eccles, Eccles is a self-admitted sociopath. And I think he's probably more correctly diagnosed as a pathological narcissist with some severe personality disorders beyond that. Baldwin's probably a lot simpler and a lot closer to that particular diagnosis of self-diagnosis of Eccles than Eccles is in other words Eccles might not have much of a conscience but perhaps he's got something lodged back there somewhere not much sign of it but but there's really no sign that Baldwin really cares about anything but Baldwin, he makes a show of being involved in uh, activism for prisoners, uh, the wrongly accused. I'm still waiting to see any evidence he's actually doing anything with his proclaimed justice organization except collecting money to support the lifestyle of Jason Baldwin. If anybody come up with any information otherwise you know let me know about it I have an email address Gary Meese at gmail.com if you've got info I you know and I realize i me, I may be dumb maybe I'm deluded about how many people even listen to this but you know if you've got a question about the case or you have information about the case, feel free to send it to me. Feel free. But I'm really challenging people to come up with any information about Jason Baldwin's organization doing anything other than collecting money for Jason Baldwin. And occasionally showing up when a high-profile prisoner you know, gets out of jail, he sort of stands in the background somewhere with a smile on his face as if he had something to do with it. you know, compared to Eccles, Eccles at least gives his followers what they're asking for. He writes kind of generic, not particularly well done books on magic, but they are what they are, and he does produce them, and if if that's what you value, then you get what you paid for, and you shouldn't really have any complaints about that if you're foolish enough to spend money on that. With Baldwin, you get a guy who went on Kickstarter five years ago, asking for money so he could finish his memoirs. So he got eight, thirty thousand dollars, and there's five years later. There's still no memoir. What happened there? Where's the bunny, Jason? Is there? Do you? Ha- I don't expect accountability from Kickstarter because you know it, it it's the sort of thing that just lends itself to that kind of scam but you know when you promise something within a year and it's 18 months later well okay it's a little delayed two years later well it took a little longer than we expected I expected but five years later you know the memoir is not going to happen And certainly the $30,000 that people forked out, they weren't expecting to wait five years to get a return on their investment. Not that the, not that it's going to be worth anything anyway. It's all going to be Jason Baldwin talking about his life in the slave fields of Arkansas and all this other ridiculous stuff, He the lingo he's picked up. From people like Ava De, DeVornay who did the ridiculous Central Park Five uh, Netflix docudrama that totally distorts the record on that and builds up all this sympathy for not just those five guys, but the, the, there were a number of other men, young men, young men, teens who were involved in these attack, not uh, these attacks and pro- possibly the, the rape too, but certainly there were a number of other young men involved in viciously attacking people in Central Park for no reason other than they could and because they were white. Let's go get some white people, mess around with them, beat them up, steal their money. That'll be great fun. Really, it's not so different than what Echols and Baldwin and Miss Kelly did when Jason and Damien invited Jesse To come along with them earlier in the week. They said, let's go Wednesday, let's go over to West Memphis, Arkansas, and beat up some boys. And that sounded like a great idea to Jesse Miskelly Jr. That's enough free associating for me for this week. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with perhaps a longer podcast and Probably something more substantive. I do think El, the case of, the, not the case of, but the, the, the story of Alvis Klimbai is interesting. With all the problems involved in it, it's still interesting. Because I do think something was going on there. However exaggerated and however bizarre and however out of touch his own descriptions are, There was something going on there and I have no reason to think that Damien and Jason Baldwin were involved. Uh, I have really no reason to think Miskelly wasn't wasn't involved. I just think he, I tend to think he was on the periphery of all this. This was all for him. This was just an excuse to be a goof, to drink, and to beat up people which is you know it seems to have summed up his existence in many ways besides him and his own 12 or 13 year old girlfriend but anyway that's it for this week thank you